I'm Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. Summer's only getting started here in Nashville, and it's already getting hot, y'all. We're in for it this summer. Add the humidity and, well, let's just change the subject. In fact, let's talk about the perfect antidote to the heat, ice cream. We've determined there's never a wrong time to talk about ice cream. So we're bringing you a rebroadcast from an episode from last July, featuring some local ice cream makers working to take this traditional dessert to new heights. Looking for new flavors? Not eating dairy? Need some CBD in your scoop? We've got you covered later in the hour. But first, after months of public outcry, the board of Alive Hospice voted no on selling to a for-profit company. This came after months of speculation and silence from the nonprofit's leadership. Steve Cavendish is the editor of the Nashville Banner, which broke the story of the proposed sale, and he joins me now. Thanks for being here, Steve, and welcome back to This is Nashville. Khalil, great to be here. Thanks, man. So, you know, Alive's board decided not to move forward with this sale. What did they say about their reasoning behind the decision? Uh, they they just said that they had had some you know conversations uh, in house among board members, uh, and what I think happened is the executive committee of the board had come to uh, had come to conclude that there was a lot of public pressure on them about potentially selling to a for profit and converting to a foundation, uh, and that. That they that they didn't necessarily have the support that they wanted for that on the board, and so and so they they backed off here on Wednesday. So did a live reverse course on what was basically a done deal. You know that is a that is an excellent question, and it's still not exactly clear because the, because the board and the CEO Kimberly Gessley ha, have not talked to uh, have not talked to the media about this. Uh, they released a statement saying we're we're staying nonprofit. We'll stay nonprofit for for the future, uh, but but they will not talk about uh, about the, the the deal that had been set up. Okay, so on that note, you tried to get Alive's leadership to talk to you ahead of this vote, and no one would respond. Why was that? Well, so so we had uh, we had gone to we we'd gone through the front door, and so we decided to call all of the board. So we called. 17 different board members on Monday to ask them a, a couple of different questions. You know, what was the rationale behind this? Uh, if the founders and a significant portion of the public did not want this to convert to a nonprofit, uh, why were they doing this? And we got uh, we got stonewalled mostly. Uh, we got a lot of a lot of referrals to their legal counsel over at Basparian Sims, and then. Uh, a, a couple of folks told us, you know, look, I can't talk about this. I'm not allowed to talk about this. And I, I think the board was all under uh, all under a set of NDAs, uh, similar to the ones that they had tried to impose on uh, the advisory board and and the the founders, Lynn and David Barton, when they talked to the board about the about the potential sale. They wanted them to sign non disclosure agreements uh, before they would even talk details about it. Hmm. Now, you reported that the relationship between the board of directors and the Lives Advisory Board really broke down. Have you heard anything more about that? Yeah, it was it was really the advisory board versus the the the, the board proper kind of in this. Uh, and the, the advisory board contains some former board members and board chairs. So these are people who, who were intimately familiar with how to how alive works and had, and had and working with management um, and they had 
they, 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 at one point they were holding press conferences outside across the street from uh, from Alive, and this is being led by current and former advisory uh, board folks and former board chairs, and it, it, it was really kind of a messy situation that. Uh, the advisory board felt like that they were continuing the wishes of the founders and the original mission, uh, and the the board itself wouldn't even talk. Right. Now, you've been talking with two of Alive's founders, David and Lynn Barton. How did they get the news? So they had uh, so um, one of the executive committee members called them as they were as as uh, the CEO sent out a note to the uh, to the staff and said and called them and said, hey, just want you to know this is the direction that we're, that we're taking. We're going to keep it a nonprofit. And we wanted to tell you first before this this, this got out, uh, which I thought was, you know, a class move on on their part. So how did the Bartons react when they found out? They were elated. Uh, they were really, really elated. Uh, and, you know, he is he's an interesting guy. He, he's got uh, he's he's older. He's on oxygen. <laughs> he, mm. would, he would show up at these press conferences, you know, pulling an oxygen tank. Uh, and he they, they have expended a lot of time and energy on this uh, because this is their this is their legacy. And and I think that they were they were truly elated to see that the, that the board reversed course on it uh, and are and are excited that it's going to remain a nonprofit for for a while. Now, as you mentioned, there's been a lot of public pressure against the sale that also includes some pretty big names. Who's come forward? So uh, so there have been a bunch of people um over the weekend, uh, Tim McGraw and Faith Hill wrote a letter because because Tim's dad, Tug McGraw, and if you're a baseball fan, you remember the name Tug McGraw. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, he actually uh, passed away at uh, at Alive, uh, kind of in their care because he had he had uh, inoperable brain cancer, and this uh, this was uh, 20 years ago, and so they wrote a long letter to the Attorney General, and and that's been part of this whole this whole strategy of the the group Keep Alive Alive. Uh, is to is to put pressure not only on on the board but also on the state attorney general who has kind of who has kind of um, a, a first look at any nonprofit that is being that's being sold uh, and say, to say look this should not this transaction should not happen and they wrote a long letter and was very kind of heartfelt about you know, about Tug McGraw's death and kind of the care that they received it alive um, but there have been a whole bunch of others Jim Jim Cooper the former uh, fifth district congressman here has spoken very passionately about this and and he has very personal experience his his wife died uh, in you know in hospice uh, in a live hospice in 2021. Uh, and he ha- he was ve- he was one of the most vocal uh, critics, you know, kind of stepping forward to say this is this is bad for Nashville, and and the the public was very much against it. Uh, but like I said, you know, he had very he had very personal experience. But I mean, the the list was was fairly huge there at the end. They they had a petition with about I think five or six thousand signatures. Mm. Uh, they had donors and former board chairs and former board members. They they signed a there was a big letter that went out of a form of a hundred former uh, employees uh, and the the previous CEOs of Alive uh, came out the last the last two CEOs from the, over the last twenty years came out against the against the sale. So it really. At some point, because the board wasn't talking, there was this public perception of, well, if everybody is against this deal, nobody thinks it's a good idea. Why are you still doing this? And 
and I think that kind of the, the kind of the weight of that public perception uh, started to flip board members within uh, within Alive. And what I what I had heard was that they were starting to lose support for the deal on the board uh, by the time the executive committee met on uh, I think it was Monday night in order to and and they kind of pulled the plug on the deal. Have we heard anything from the potential buyer, Emeticis? No. And as a matter of fact, Emeticis is wrapped up right now in being bought. Uh, <laughs> they had a buy, And they had a buyer that they announced here a few weeks ago. And a second buyer came in Monday morning. And I think I think that kind of contributed to to what I've what I've heard from a couple of people is that that sort of contributed to the whole uh, un- the uncertainty around the, who they were selling to may have contributed to the board being uh, leery of, of doing this uh, because they 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 don't know if the company that the that ultimately would be owning Alive would even be uh, so, an experienced hospice operator. And so it, it it's it, it's it was a truly bizarre situation of them potentially being bought by somebody else being bought, but we don't even know who that buyer is. Hmm. Now that this sale to a for-profit company has been called off, what's next for Alive Hospice? So Alive is going to remain a nonprofit, uh, and they put out a statement saying that you know there are it, it's not an easy business, and and I think anybody who is anybody who is in healthcare and particularly uh, you know care for the dying uh, knows it is a tough business, uh, and particularly when you have. When you when you are mission oriented as they are, and they do a lot of charity care, um, that you know that it's not necessarily great for their bottom line, but they take they take people regardless of whether or not you know, whether or not they have the ability to pay. Um, you know, it is it is a tough job, uh, and I think this is the this is the 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 overwhelming sentiment that I've heard from some very knowledgeable people. Um, Including like former CEOs of of local uh, of local hospital uh, hospitals and, and and hospital chains have said to me, you know, look, we have quietly gone to them and offered them help, and we said, look, we know it's a tough business. We've got we've got a lot of experience out here that can help you. We we want alive to succeed. If if there's if there are problems, let you know, let people help you. Don't just sell it to a for profit entity. Now, clearly, a lot of people were alarmed that the idea of selling to a for-profit even got this far. Even though the sale has been called off, does that mean the pressure's off the current leadership? Uh, no, it's not. And as a matter of fact, the, the group Keep Alive Alive had issued a statement uh, the, the day after this, which said, we're thrilled with this direction, but we, but we believe that the people that were responsible for for trying to do this shouldn't be running the organization. So they still called for Kimberly Gessley's resignation and called for board members who were, who were trying to sell to, to the, the for-profit entity uh, for them to resign if they didn't, if they, if they're, uh, if they were no longer with kind of within uh, the mission of what Alive is trying to do. That's Steve Cavendish, editor of the Nashville Banner. You can find a link to his story in today's episode post Thank you for your reporting, Steve. Thanks, Khalil. Appreciate it. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we're digging into some ice cream. We want to know your favorite flavors. Tweet them at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back.
I'm Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. If you'll allow me to, I'd like to recite a very famous poem in honor of today's topic. <clears throat> I scream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. In all seriousness, folks, ice cream is popping off in Nashville, which is why we're bringing you a rebroadcast of last July's episode highlighting some of the options around town where you can find some relief this summer. Classic spots like Bobby's Dairy Dip are still here, and new ice cream businesses are emerging all around the city. Restaurants are perfecting elevated takes on this age-old delight. My next guest follows the trends of ice cream and other decadent delights. Megan Sealing writes the Sugar Shock column for the Nashville scene and is the author of the snack and destroy newsletter and she joins me now megan welcome to this is nashville thank you so much for having me it's a pleasure to have you with us okay so i think a lot of listeners are jealous of your job how (laughs) how did you get rightfully so (laughs) yeah you know how did you get on the ice cream beat uh, I just said I'm doing this and uh, and and made it my job, to be honest. You know, you I, I wrote about food for several years at the Nashville scene and just kind of wanted to hone in on desserts. Um, I think the dessert scene here in Nashville has just grown so much. Um, and I, I just kind of I made it my job and I didn't give them the option to say no. Is this <laughs> I love it. Is this a lifelong love turned into a dream job? Absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've loved dessert and I've loved baking my whole life. I've always had a sweet tooth, um, so much more than so many of my friends. And, and so to be able to make it a job and then not just, I mean, it's not just about like eating the ice cream, but like celebrating the people who make it, you know, and celebrating Mm. the people who like bring such cool, innovative ideas into the dessert scene. Um, that is as much part of the job as far as I'm concerned as, as it is to just eat delicious things. Mm -hmm. If you've spent much time in East Nashville, there's a good chance you've had Jenny's ice cream. Of course, I'm talking about Jenny Piper, founder of Pied Piper Creamery. She wasn't able to join us today, but our senior producer, Steve Harouche, caught up with her and she talked about when she was starting out and there was not many ice cream options as we have today. Well, 2007 was a really funny time because CC's was starting right around that same time. And so it seemed like the big thing in Nashville was tart yogurt and there were several places that were doing that, you know, the version of soft serve where you get to make it yourself and add all the toppings and all of this thing. And there was, there were still a few of the mixed in ice cream places. Um, but my vision was absolutely for something more old fashioned. And, um, my sister and I were doing a lot of the creative details and we just kept going back to, we want it to be like your crazy aunt's place who like, let you have ice cream for dinner. All right. Shout out to Crazy Ants. Now, Megan, does it seem like the newer ice cream shops lean more towards this kind of personality driven approach? I think so. But I also think a lot of the newer ice cream shops are also like drawing inspiration globally. Like they're taking ice cream as as more cultures start to emerge in Nashville. They're taking flavors uh, and even like methods of making ice cream from their childhoods where they grow up, whether it was in like Mexico or India. Um, And so we're starting to see not just like a Ben and Jerry's or Pied Piper kind of ice cream that's just like stuffed with brownies and cookies 
movies and all of that is great. Like I love all of that too, but we're also getting like more nuanced and experimental flavors. And, um, and I think that's, what's really exciting because there's room for both, you know, mm-hmm. like sometimes you really want just like a super decadent, chunky monkey sort of like, uh, like Pied Piper has this great kind that just features basically every candy bar shoved into ice cream. I think it's called the kitchen sink. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you can go to like a newer ice cream shop, um, Saraba's, uh, that's near Vanderbilt. And they have this beautiful saffron ice cream that is just creamy and dreamy and delicious. And unlike anything you would have found in Nashville, you know, even five years ago. Now, you know, we're accustomed to ice cream being this sweet dish, but as you explained, people are, yeah. it really expanded the palates, palates and much more savory treats as well. Who else is creating savory ice cream in town? I recently, well, this spring, I went to Folk in East Nashville and the pastry chef there is just immensely talented and on the menu was this sweet pea ice cream it was bright green and then she loaded it with chunks of white chocolate uh, which is generally very sweet but with this like kind of grassy sweet earthy flavor of the pea ice cream it really worked and then she put like roasted pine nuts on top and it was just this beautiful like it, it just, it, you wouldn't have expected it to be delicious. It didn't really taste like green peas, but at the same time, it very much did, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of sweet peas, have a lot of sugar in them and can be very sweet. But it was also this like grassy, beautiful spring kind of flavor, more fresh than sweet. Um, and so that that's something. And then the guys at the Continental, uh, Michael Werrell and uh, Keaton Vasek are the pastry chefs there. They're doing incredible things. And there's some sweet and there's some savory um, going on there. And I know the Continental is, you know, it can be a pricey place to go get dinner. But the thing about it is you can always just get a walk-in table in the lounge, in the bar and just order dessert. And that's something Mm. like, I would love to see more Nashvillians do that. And they have like on the menu, they'll experiment with like a beautiful olive oil sorbet, but then it'll have like radishes with it or some sort of microgreens with it. And you wouldn't expect that. Like I wouldn't say radishes are delicious dessert, um, but they, the way they handle these ingredients um, just ends up making so many unique flavor combinations that just it wouldn't have existed in Nashville, you know, 10 years ago. And it didn't really exist elsewhere in the country either, um, you know, until recently, until people started experimenting more with what ingredients can do. Now, I've heard something about ice cream and French fries. Yes. Frice. It's called, so on 12 South, there's a place called Frice Cream. uh, And it's a combination of fries and ice cream. Anybody who's sat in a Wendy's drive-thru probably knows you Mm -hmm. dip your hot French fry in your chocolate frosty. Mm -hmm. So what Frice does is kind of, they elevate that. Um, It's the perfect junk food. I love dipping fries in ice cream and malts and milkshakes. And so Frice makes these wonderful, like especially crispy fries and they'll put savory toppings on them. You can get, you know, like smoked paprika, you can get Nashville hot spice on your French fries and then they're soft serve and they make their base from scratch. So it tastes better than a frosty. No, no knock to Wendy's. I love a frosty, Yeah. but Frice's soft serve is like a better quality and you can get like fresh fruit on it. You can get cookies, you can get hot sauce, whatever, and then dip your 
fries in the ice cream and it's just this like flavorful explosion, super decadent. But I mean, it's fries and ice cream. And and, and the fact that this is only just now being introduced like in the last year or two blows my mind. It's the perfect junk food concept. Sounds like perfect for a cheat day. Yeah. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host, Khalil A. Colonna. We're talking this hour about all things ice cream. What's your favorite flavor in town? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. My next guest is an ice cream innovator, ice cream historian, and the founder of Saturated Ice Cream, Lokulani Alabanza. Welcome to the show. Hi. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being with us. So the product you make at Saturated Ice Cream is different from the traditional dish. How did you flip the script, so to speak? Uh, well, the pandemic allowed that to happen. Mm. Uh, so I was used to you making dairy ice cream. And so my company is basically plant-based hemp derived CBD, which is a mouthful. Uh, but plant-based is sort of the future of ice cream. So it made it a little harder to transition, but there are so many people out there that are lactose intolerant and I know that they need plant-based delicious ice cream, but they choose not to. And that's fine. I am one of those people, <laughs> lactose intolerant, but I still love ice cream. So how can plant-based help me and others who are non-dairy? Well, it just won't upset your tummy, which is the number one thing. But also you want a good mouthfeel. You want your tongue to have that fat coating that dairy does and give you that same sort of nostalgia, you know, evokes this thing, which is my big thing. That's like, I love food nostalgia. I talk about it immensely all the time. Hmm. Uh, but it's important, I think, for you to have something indulgent and delicious and consistent and forget about the fact that it's not dairy, but it's the thing that you came for and it brought you a little bit of joy. Do you see plant-based ice cream as the wave of the future? A hundred percent. There's so many different opportunities uh, that are, you know, popping up across the country. I mean, in our city alone. Uh, and I think that there's opportunity to have more pot, like shops, scoop shops where you go in and it's plant-based in some way. And it's not always coconut. It can be a nut base. There's pea protein. You know, there's people that are making it out of yeast from beer. Mm. So there's so many different variations of it. It's just how committed are you to making a good product out of that? Now, how did you come up with the idea to use CBD in your ice cream? Uh, so I had, well, it's legal. <laughs> it's sort of the wild west here uh, with the CBD route. I actually had a friend, dear, beautiful woman. Uh, she was a quick, wonderful friendship, but she actually passed away from cancer. And she talked about how the CBD had helped her. And so I thought, whoa, what if you had CBD or you were had ice cream, but you had your drugs administered in the ice cream, but it brought you that type of nostalgia in those last days. And so I sort of thought, okay, how do I do this? And I had no idea. I was really not a scientist. I was throwing whatever into a container, making it happen. But okay. my incredible neighbor has given me an education on what CBD does. Okay. Now for listeners, we had a past show on CBD and cannabis. Go to thisisnashville.org to check that out. Now, how much CBD are we talking is in your ice cream? Not a, not a lot. So four, a four ounces is about 20 milligrams is what we put in four ounces, which is a pretty good introduction. And we also use isolate powder, so there's no taste. Mm. So you wouldn't know if I gave you one without and one with what the difference was until the after, you know, the effects later on. Now, dessert com columnist Megan Sealing is still with us. Megan, have you tried saturated ice cream? I have, and it is incredible. Um, like she, yes, yes, I have. I am a big fan. <laughs> so what do you think about the CBD trend? I think it's great. Like, I think it's, it's definitely one of those things that has sort of a, 
I don't, I don't want to say a bad rap, but like people just aren't educated on it a whole lot. And it's something that is actually popping up in desserts more and more, like thanks in part to saturated ice cream, but a lot of bakers are also starting to use it in their treats. And I think because so many people do benefit from CBD, I think that like, like Lokalani said, like, it's just a wonderful way for people to be able to have a treat, but then also like if they use CBD to relax or fight anxiety or help them sleep or whatever, then they can also have that sort of helpful medicinal effect too. Um, and I mean, I would love to be able to take vitamins and medicine that tastes like candy. That would just, that's the dream. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I I'm, I'm a big fan of that and it is something that's popping up more, uh, in the dessert world, but definitely saturated is the first one to do it in ice cream. Local Lonnie said plant-based ice cream is the future. Are you feeling that as well? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think like I am not lactose intolerant, but I know that like ice cream is so decadent and so rich and like, it can be a lot, you know, even if you are able to digest lactose and dairy, uh, it's, it's a lot. And I just think vegetarian and veganism is the future personally in a lot of ways. Um, so I'm so glad to see ice cream is going that way. And the fact that between saturated, and then there's also Coco's here in Nashville, which is a vegan, like plant-based dairy place. Um, it's over in the, in one city on Charlotte it's so creamy and so rich and and so luscious. You would never know that the base wasn't dairy, you know, like they have done a lot of chefs have started doing some really incredible things, kind of getting down to the science of ice cream and what makes the textures so good. And they've been able to replicate that. And in some cases, I think both in saturated and cocoa's cases, it's even a little better than, than some traditional ice cream. It's just Mm. smoother. Um, and the flavor comes through more with like the high fat content of like coconut milks and different like plant-based creams. Uh, it's just, it's, I, I think it definitely can, I think it definitely at least has a place in the future, if not is the future. Okay. Listening to you talk makes me want to get a scoop right now. Megan, know. <laughs> you know, what advice would you give someone who is thinking of traveling the city in search of the perfect scoop of ice cream? Oh man, that's just, it really depends on your mood. And like you said earlier, like this heat wave is really gnarly. Um, And so it depends on your mood and depends on kind of like what you're, what you're craving. If you want to try something new, that's the great thing about everything that's happening right now is there are so many places you can say, I want to try something I've never tried before. Like there's Sarabas on 21st Avenue and they do all like Indian inspired different kinds of ice cream treats. You've probably, unless you grew up in India or are familiar with with Indian culture, you probably haven't had a lot of what they have to offer. Um, And so if you want to try something new, do that. You can go to La Michoacana Premium on uh, Nolansville Pike. They have um, made in-house Mexican paletas just in every flavor you could imagine. Uh, And they also have ice cream if you're up for that. Um, And a big thing there that they do at Michoacana is um, it's called a mango nada. And it's this like, pureed mango sorbet um, covered in chamoy sauce, which is like a really tart, tangy, spicy, kind of uh, bright red, vibrant sauce that's kind of savory. Uh, and then they put some um, some like chili powder on top too. Uh, I think it's tajin spice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just becomes this like really cool explosion of flavor that if you 
hadn't had it as a child, like it's a really popular treat in Mexico. So if you didn't have it as a child, either in Mexico or in like, um, like highly populated Mexican community, it's something that is a probably a totally different palette to, to you. Like I grew up in, in Lake Stevens, Washington. Um, and so my ice cream was like Briars. Okay. <laughs> and so the first time I had a, had a mango nada, I was just like, where did all this flavor come from? Um, so I guess just there is no perfect scoop of ice cream in Nashville, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, there is there is a little bit of everything. And I think the the best way, obviously, to find the perfect scoop for you is to, to literally go eat it all. Is that that's fair advice to give, I think, to the people? I think it is. Go, go <laughs> eat it all. Megan Sealing yeah. is a dessert columnist for the Nashville scene and the author of the Snack and Destroy newsletter. Megan, thanks so much for being with us today. Lokalani Alabanza will stick with us through the break. Thanks for tuning in for this rebroadcast. After the break, we'll discover what's new in Nashville's ice cream scene with some local innovators with imaginative recipes. Where are some of your favorite places to get ice cream? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Ice cream has come a long way since I was a kid. I remember when chocolate chip cookie dough was the newest rage. Now, there are flavors I've never even thought of, much less tasted before. My next guests are making their mark on the local ice cream scene with their innovative approach and flavors. Sam Brooker of Coco's Ice Cream and Guru Singh of Saraba's Creamery. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Sam, how did you get started making ice cream? Oh gosh, condensed. All right. Well, first I met a woman who is now my wife, and that's a big part of the story because uh, the concept came from a conversation. We were down at a, a tech conference down in New Orleans. I'm uh, lactose intolerant, can't eat ice cream. We got to talking and thought this would be a great business in Nashville because uh, Nashville was lacking in the plant-based ice cream world. And uh, so we got to experimenting and tested all of our experiments on our musician friends and dialed in a really great recipe. So what did you start experimenting with to create your recipes? Uh, well, at home on a very small ice cream maker, uh, we used coconut milk as our base. And then there's some subtle differences in how you make dairy versus plant-based. And that's what we had to figure out. So we have a, a proprietary way of making our ice cream that kind of uh, mellows out the coconut. Um, so yeah, it's just a lot of testing and experimenting. Now, Guru, you work alongside your wife, right? Yes. Now, what gave you the inspiration to take your shared love of ice cream and turn it into a business? Uh, we used to make the ice cream for um, our friends and family um, for maybe nine, ten years at home. It's the same like, <laughs> same like Sam. We have a small machine, try to uh, get to some flavors. And uh, we didn't think about to start any business, but ultimately... Um, after pandemic and those things. So we think, well, let's see how it's going to go. So we try to give it a shot. Let's see. <laughs> okay. What were you doing before that? Uh, we both are the software developers, me and my wife. We used to work in the IT before. Okay. Yeah. That's quite a jump. Yes. 
<laughs> now, how is Indian ice cream different from what we're generally used to in the U.S.? Um, it's more creamy and it's more dense. And um, how we make it, it's it's uh, made at the different different RPMs. How we uh, the American ice uh, like here ice creams are made. So uh, we uh, try to. Uh, it has um, it churns at very slow speed to make it. Um, a little soft, and it has a little bit of more fat content to make it more dense and creamy. Now, do the RPMs make that much of a difference? It's yes, it's pretty. Um, it makes a lot, lot of difference in the in the consistency of that. Yeah. Now, Sam, your wife and business partner is originally from the Netherlands. Is there a different standard there for ice cream? Y- yes. In fact, in, in in making Cocos, that was our goal to create more of a European-styled ice cream. And we were talking about this before the show that here, like add-ins are a lot of fun. But in if you go to Italy, it's all about the the ice cream, just pure flavors. Chocolate is the best chocolate, you know, those kinds of things. Lemon ice cream is the best lemon ice cream. So at Cocos, we try to kind of have that balance of very pure, really great ice cream. And then for fun, we have some flavors like, of course, cookies and cream and just the basics. Okay. Okay. What's one of your favorite favorite flavors? Oh my gosh. We make a really classic green mint chip. It's really, really good. My Uh, sister would love that. Uh, Lokalani Alabanza is still with us. Lokalani, you've been a pastry chef, chef for 20 years, but you've also been working on a book about the history of African Americans and ice cream. Yes. What inspired you to do that? Well, I love food nostalgia. I, my gra- my maternal grandmother was from Cleveland, Tennessee. And so when I, I was born on the West Coast, California, raised, very proud of that. Uh, and I found myself here seven years ago, and I realized the South is about sustainability and in a way of uh, food ways. And I thought, oh, my gosh, it's about how do you take these stories and turn them into something else? And so what happened is I found the name of a woman named Stel, or Sarah Estelle. She was a black free entrepreneur uh, in 1840 Nashville and she owned an ice cream saloon here. And so when I found that out, that sort of is what triggered the, wait, I'm black entrepreneur female here in Nashville making mm-hmm. ice cream 180 years later. And so I started digging deeper and it sort of opened this, I don't know, this incredible, beautiful, place that has a lot of names that I think that people don't know about. And it's sort of uh, a very, there wasn't really a, there wasn't a place to jump off of. So I had to create that for this book, which was kind of wild. Can you tell me more about Sarah? Sarah's amazing. So Sarah, there's not a lot. She came from North Carolina. She owned a boarding house and she owned an ice cream saloon on what is now 4th and 5th Street, which was then called Summer, North Summer and North Cherry. Uh, And she there's actual documentation articles that she's known as the queen of ice cream. And so mm-hmm. the church that was next to her, McKinley Church, I believe, uh, they would come out after choir practice and go and have ice cream. And they would talk about that. And then they'd go back and sing after, you know. And so she did a lot of parties and she catered a lot of food. And then the war hits, you know, 1860. So she's around for 20 years. And all of a sudden she sort of just disappears. So no one knows where she went. There's no grave. Uh, there's no photographs, but we do know that she existed and she was just amazing. I mean, yeah, she owned a boarding house and a saloon, so I know yeah. she had a knack for handling people. Yes. What was special about her recipes? So the thing with that is there aren't any recipes, but when you look through that time period, 
there were really interesting things that you would think were modern today, but they were being made then. Hmm. So, for instance, during that era of 1840, Parmesan ice cream was very popular. Parmesan ice cream. Yeah. So you have a block of dry, hard cheese, right, that would, you know, it would last that journey and get here. And so I thought, well, maybe I should make some. (laughs) So uh, it's a really interesting, delicious flavor, but you have to use the good quality. So you've tried to replicate some of Oh, 100%. Like, I can't not. That's the thing. I am a stickler for just making weird things and putting them in ice cream all the time. Now, how does it feel to be continuing a legacy that many people don't know about? It's really an honor, and it's Oh, it can be overwhelming. But the more I looked at these beautiful faces and the photographs that I found of, you know, this joyful African-Americans eating ice cream and being excited. And you're looking at all these names who had ice cream shops and parlors. It's so extraordinary. And it was about innovation and it made a lot of people wealthy. And it's just sharing that story. And so I think that brings me joy knowing that I get to share that and their legacies in the book that's coming out and in my own ice cream recipes. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour about Nashville's ice cream scene with local ice cream innovators Sam Brooker, Guru Singh, and Lokalani Alabanza. Now, Guru, you offer flavors like chai spice, saffron pistachio, which, okay, wow. And tell me, how did you come up with those? Um, all these recipes, uh, we... Um, we uh, like grown up with that my mother used to make it at home and uh, it we didn't have like a big like machines like kind of a thing it was like they used to hand churn it it's a small churners they used to do that my grandmother used to do that so most of the recipes which we are doing right now either came from my mother or from my grandmother uh the ice creams the flavors which we just grew up um eating so there is a couple of recipes like which we try to uh, try to working on right now, but most of the recipes which we have right now is either from my mother or from the grandmother. <laughs> These are family traditions. Yes. Are you what What are some of the new ideas you're playing around with? So we are um, we didn't have any any um, any vegan options, so we try to look into that, but um, it's really hard to get in, get into that. And um, also um, we are. Uh, working on, um, we just got introduced uh, the cardamom flavor, so it should have it should come up uh, on the menu maybe next week. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are a couple of uh, uh, flavors, which is um, which is a kolab um, jamun, I think. So if you heard about that, it's a it's a it's a um, uh, fried like um, um, in the rose water they fried the. Uh, the dumplings kind of a thing, so we mm. try to create that thing. So let's see how it's going to go. Okay. <laughs> I have a feeling it's going to go well. Uh, Sam, you and Lokolani are using plant-based non-dairy products to make your ice cream, as you both mentioned. Now, you know, this may create a big debate online, <laughs> but does plant-based ice cream taste better? Absolutely. <laughs> Bring on the debate. No, I, seriously. Like, I mean, again, I I can't eat dairy, but I do taste it every once in a while. Just make sure, you know, you know. Not again, not even that's competition, but just to see where everything fits. And I have to say, like, our ice cream is is just so much cleaner feeling. We, the, like Lokalani said, it's about mouthfeel, and we we dialed that in. So that first, when it first hits your your tongue, it's very smooth, creamy. You swallow it. There's no aftertaste. There's no um, heavy feeling. It doesn't make you phlegmy. 
a lot of the mm. things that dairy just naturally does to your body, uh, this doesn't. So it's a very clean feeling ice cream. You know, I think it's cool that people like you all started the business after making ice cream at home. I remember making ice cream from scratch when my grandparents would come and visit us. Now, Lokalani, would you say, what would you say is the trickiest part about making ice cream from scratch? Oh, the base. I mean, just learning how to get, there's a science behind it, but most people that were making it before knowing the science just did what felt good. You know, it was more of a feeling and instinct. So that was the hardest part, I think, and the right equipment. Yeah, same thing. Mostly, most hard is to get to the base. So whatever, um, what base we need to use for the ice cream, it's very hard to um, try to get to the same consistency every time. So that's the most hard part, I think. Yeah. Well, when making ice cream from scratch, what's most, most important, the machinery or the ingredients? Sam? Uh, I mean, it, it all starts with ingredients. I will say, and like Lokalana was saying, it's it's a balance. It's it's science. It's it's math. It's understanding proportions and understanding how emulsifiers and stabilizers work with cream and all of these things that you you just kind of you can go online and find a recipe and start there. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean it's going to be great. And that's what, and especially with plant based, we know you 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 got to mix and match. And then the machinery is critical. Again, we started on a small tabletop churner. Actually, Coco started like that. We could scoop 13 little cups of ice cream from one batch and we couldn't keep up with the people. And you know, we're, we're literally trying to make single batches of ice cream for hundreds of people. And so like the machinery grew with us and now we have big machines and it's really nice to just pour it in and let it do its magic and it's consistent. Do you have any tips for people starting out? Oh, to start an ice cream business or just to make ice cream? Making some. Let's go with making let's some first. <laughs> yeah, um, let's see. Making some. Just start online and have have fun. You know, it, it is all about the base initially. So um, lots of experimenting, lots of sharing some not so good ice cream with your friends until mm-hmm. you dial it in. Guru? Yeah, I think... Um same thing. I think the most problem, most thing is it's very good to make the ice cream. It gives you a pretty good feeling if you get to the good flavors. It it happens like we throw a lot of a um, lot of the um, the the mix like we didn't taste good. But it's after you get to that consist after you get to that flavor which we are admiring to get, it gives you a very good feeling. Yeah, if we we got it. So I think if you um, want to see, I can, you can also there's a lot of uh, um, links online, you can just look the recipes, but once you try to get into that, so it gives you a very good chance to see what will, um, if you put this proportion much, so it's going to give you that flavor. If you and increase this much, it's, it's very incredible to play with the ingredients and play with the proportions on that. Okay, I got less than a minute left. Lokalani, what is your favorite early ice cream memory? Oh, the ice cream truck. Handful of money running down the steps. I loved the strawberry shortcake and a choco taco till this day mm-hmm. forever. Yeah. Mine was the Neapolitan, the chocolate, strawberry, and vanilla. Oh, yeah. I didn't like when they mixed. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I'd let it <laughs> melt down. Sam, how about you real quick? 30 seconds. Oh, Neapolitan. Yeah. yeah. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite, yeah. <laughs> That's what you did? Guru? Yeah, yeah we, um, in my childhood, they, 
they have a, like we have a small uh, vendors. They come in the, on the street and okay. sell like small popsicles of uh, of uh, saffron or those flavors. So those are the flavors which I always remember. Like on the hot day, I just used to get to the street and give them like a couple of times so I just want some ice cream. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. That is awesome. That is Guru Singh of Saraba's Creamery. He was joined by Sam Brooker of Coco's Ice Cream and Lokalani Alabanza of Saturated Ice Cream. Thank you all for being here. All right. It's Friday. That means it's time for me to hop out of the studio and ride shotgun with one of our fellow Middle Tennesseans. Today, I'm chilling with Mario Ridley, owner of Big Guy's Ice Cream Truck out in Antioch. Grab your money and buckle up. The ice cream man is coming! The ice cream man is coming! Ma! Ma! My name is Mario Ridley, owner of the Big Guy Ice Cream and Snack Truck. I was the ice cream king. I've owned like 10 trucks in the last 13 years. How did I get into it? I was at a barber shop. I was getting my hair cut. Honestly, I used to be wild. I used to rip and run the streets, mm -hmm. in and out of jail. The guy that was cutting my hair, a good friend of mine, man, he was telling me, man, look, man, I, I know something positive you can do. He was like, I got this ice cream truck sitting outside. I was like, uh, he was like, look, man, I, I give you opportunity. He said, don't give me the money. He said, I want $500 for the truck. It's already equipped with everything on it. He said, but better yet, since you don't, believe or understand, I want you to just take the truck for a week. And if you don't make $500, come back, bring my truck back, and just say, forget it. But if you do, just bring me the 500. Man, I, I took the truck, went and got ice cream. I rode around for a day. The next day, I started making money. Then another day went by, made some more money. So after that week, I had made more than $500. So I went back and gave him the $500 and I bought the truck. Yeah. I've been rolling ever since. Once I calmed down and started slowing down and driving slow, I picked up for Yeah. I'm finna cut the music on right now. Yeah, think. okay. But uh, it picked up for me, so it's just one of those things. Yeah. So, how's it feel when you see the kids get all happy? Man, it feels great. Most of them I've seen grow up, man, in all these years. So it's like, no matter where I go, they they at Walmart. Wherever I go at, they know me. Yeah. But it just makes me feel good. Did my own kids love it? At first, they like, oh, Daddy's the ice cream man, and they just embraced it. I just started going to school events and all type of stuff. People don't tend to think that. This ain't a year-round job. As long as it's 50 degrees and the sun's out and they hear the music, they coming up. Now, do you like ice cream? Actually, I'm diabetic, man. Okay. So I don't eat ice cream. I will eat it, you know. If my daughter or something's with me, of course, I'm going to nibble on something. But nah, man. I don't really eat ice cream. I hear you. I'm lactose intolerant. I'm 75% uh, of African Americans are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just being honest. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> What's the biggest seller? Strawberry shortcake, uh, chocolate shortcake. The old school. The old Classics. school, man. The old school is going to always, you're going to have the bomb yeah. pop. 
But everybody loves strawberry shortcake. Ice cream sandwich. Yeah? I want ice cream sandwich Give me a popsicle. Uncle. What you want? It's um, free. Uh, I yeah, want it's free. Give me a strawberry shortcake. Okay, baby. I want a strawberry cake. Give my mom vanilla. Give me, give me a red right quick for Casey. How you doing, man? What grade are you in now, Casey? You in a seven? So you don't turn 13? How old is you? 12 or 13 now? When you turn 13? There you go. Hold on. August, so you about to be watch this card. Yeah, my man wants to know if y'all take cards. Oh, uh, cash out. We ain't got no cards. Huh? You got cash, cash out? I ain't got cash out. Just give him some dollars. How many of them you got? What's up, boy? How many of them you got? Huh? How many kids How many you got? Three. Just give him a dollar popsicle one. Whatever one. What you Huh? Nah, don't worry about that. We're going to get him a dollar one. We're going to okay. get him a pop okay. okay, thank you, man. So so you straight. We'll catch up another time. Catch me up. Whatever, whatever. Okay. This is all good. It teaches a lot of patience. Kids who can't count or who going to give you a hundred dollar bill. That's just, you know what I mean? You got you to gotta know how to bless them, man. You got to mm -hmm. be a blessing, man. Mm -hmm. God take care of babies and fools, man. We sure ain't taking from no babies. That's right. We're going to try to spread as much love, hey. Most of the time we get it. Just get yeah, help but, people out. Uh, you know, if it's 15 kids right here and I done sold 13 of them popsicles, why can't I give two more away, man? That's, I remember how it felt not to have my guy. So like, being to feel like how it felt not to have, I don't never want nobody to feel that. Thank you, Ashley, man. Thank you. Thank you, Ashley, man. Thank you, man. Riding Shotgun is supported by Xander Insurance. Thanks for tuning in for this rebroadcast. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Steve Harouche. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville and find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you Monday, everybody, and be good to each other. Thank you.